Welcome to the GC On Demand podcast, a show about people, about process, about technology, about community. It's great conversations with great technologists about things that matter to you, that matter to all of us. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to visit gcondemand.io for all of the show notes. And with that, let's get started. And welcome, everybody. It's uh, or welcome back to the GC On Demand. We've got a, an exciting time because there's been so much growth going on with some of the conversations we've had here on the GC On Demand. And I've been lucky enough to really, really like, cover such a wide audience of folks that can come and talk to us about neat things that they've done in the industry, both from a product and a people perspective. And most importantly, as we've progressed as listeners throughout this, I think this is the perfect time that I get to introduce our special guest today. Uh, with that, I'd like to welcome Randy Shout to the show. Uh, Randy, you have a very exciting story in, in, in IT. Uh, so first of all, let's get started by if you can introduce yourself, tell folks where we can find you online, and we're going to talk a little bit about you, Stitch Fix, and a whole lot about DevOps and, and all things wrapped around it. Excellent. Well, thanks, Eric. Thanks for having me. This is great. Uh, yeah, so I'm Randy Schaup. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Randy Schaup. Uh, I can also be found at Randy Schaup on LinkedIn and other places around the web. If you Google my name, uh, you'll also see a bunch of uh, presentations that I've given on various topics, DevOps, scalability, engineering culture, all sorts of stuff. So uh, I'm pretty easily Googleable because my name isn't super, super common. Uh, I'm currently VP of Engineering at Stitch Fix here in San Francisco. Uh, I'll talk a little bit later, I think, in the podcast, I hope, about the kinds of things that Stitch Fix does. Uh, but I'm a, uh, I've been here for a year. Uh, before earlier in my career, I was chief engineer at eBay for about six and a half years, and I helped to build out eBay's search infrastructure. Um, I did a stint at Google running engineering for Google App Engine. So that's Google's platform as a service, like Heroku or uh, other platforms you might be aware of. Um, I started my own little startup with a former eBay colleague and learned how difficult it is to do a startup. Um, and then I actually uh, did a stint as the CTO of a gaming company here in San Francisco for a while. So I've done a bunch of different things. You just uh, you work for a couple little companies. Eh? <laughs> I, 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 we're going to definitely bring you back because I want to. We want to talk about that startup. That's that in itself would be a, a really exciting chat uh, on its own. But yeah, what I want to talk about today, you know. Let's just start with the elusive topic that everybody seems to be chasing these days, or at least for the last little while, Randy, which is DevOps. You know, the, the idea of creating these, you know, these toolkits and these processes that wrap around, you know, what DevOps is. And I think that's probably the best place to start. If you don't mind, Randy, tell me in your mind, you know, what exactly is DevOps? What's it trying to achieve, and, and and what are your thoughts on on that side of the world? Yeah, great. So I think of DevOps as the modern approach to deploying and managing software, um, sort of in the world. Um, so we all know that the the, the classic, you know, enterprisey approach to uh, stuff is you have a bunch of people that build things, the developers, and you have another set of people that operate those things, the the ops folks, um, and what I what I like about the modern world is that we're breaking down that 
to my mind, artificial, uh, artificial barrier there. So um, one of the things we do at Stitch Fix, and we also did at Google, is we don't have a, we don't have this uh, huge wall where there are the people that write the code, and then they throw it over the wall to the people that operate it, and everybody you know hates the people that are on the other side of that wall. Um, rather, the better way to deploy and manage software is to have everybody be able to do this stuff. So the way um, the way that we did it at Google is that the um, for the most part, the initial part of initial time when somebody's running a service or running an application, it's actually the developers, the same people that are writing the code that are operating it. So they're the ones that carry the pager. They're the ones that are responsible for it performing and being reliable in the real world. Um, and we've, we do that similar approach here at Stitch Fix. Um, so Stitch Fix, as I, I didn't mention before, is a um, online clothing retailer. And uh, our idea is we turn retail sort of upside down. So rather than going to um, a traditional retailer, whether online or physical, and going and choosing the things you like. You tell us the things that you like, and we send you five items in a box that we think you're going to enjoy. And we do a whole bunch of data science associated with that. That's maybe a whole nother, a whole nother topic. Um, but in terms of the engineering that we do, we, um, we want to make sure that the engineers that, uh, that we hire build and maintain the software themselves. So we have the, the same people that are on, but the people that build our, the, a particular set of applications at Stitch Fix, the same exact engineers are the ones that write the software. They're the ones that make sure that the software works correctly. They're the ones that make sure that the software performs. And they're the ones that make sure that the software is operated. So we don't have a separate QA group. We don't have a separate performance group. We don't have a separate ops group. It's all one set of engineers. And why would we do that? Um, it, it has this wonderful uh, sort of uh, synergistic effect by not throwing a thing over the wall to some other guy. Uh, I am now responsible for it. And it mean, means that I'm strongly incented to make sure that my thing is going to perform well and is going to work well in the real world. Uh, so my incentives are definitely aligned. But also, it actually makes me makes it easier for me to do that job. Because once I know that I've set up the monitoring, I've, uh, I know uh, how things are being deployed and how things are, uh, are running. Uh, are running in the infrastructure, and so I don't have. There's not this uh, need for passing tickets back and forth or constant um, uh, coordination back and forth, where I have half the problem. I understand half the problem, and you know the ops guy understands the other half. If that makes sense, like I, as engineer, uh, am, am able to do it all, um, and that is wonderful. Our engineers love it. I love that approach, uh, and one of the recent uh, podcast chats I had was with Rob Hirschfeld, and we talked about the the SRE, and of course, being of of Google history, you'll know around this whole concept of the SRE. We'll talk about that in actually a few minutes. But it's funny you talk about different things that your your team does, and and I love this idea of like a singular you were you're responsible from end to end when you're doing stuff like this and creating you know processes and stuff wrapped around it. Like, how much of the toolkit do you have available out of stuff that's out there today? Or when you're looking at starting something brand new, like what you're doing with Stitch Fix, like how much of everything in your workflow is out of the box versus what you have to develop yourself to kind of be individually mapped to how you do things? Totally. Oh, well, well it's wonderful to work. I mean, I, it's, I've been in the industry for a long time, since 1990. Um, and 
2017 is you know the best time to be an, uh, a developer of, of any time. And why? It's because all these things that used to be only the Ebays and the Googles and the Amazons of the world is now available to everybody. Um, and so we uh, at Stitch Fix, we run all of our infrastructure on AWS. Um, most of our applications um, that we build in the engineering team uh, are hosted on Heroku, which maybe people will know also is on AWS. Um, and we're in the process of actually migrating from having all of our uh, applications on Heroku to using uh, uh, Amazon's Elastic Container Service. Um, so Docker, basically running Docker in the cloud. Um, happy to dive into any or all of these all of these areas. But to answer your question about how much of the toolkit is available kind of off the shelf, it's the vast majority of it, right? Um, and that's what's wonderful about 2017. So we can go to a cloud provider like AWS and get you know, as many machines as we can afford, right? Um, and we can spin them up in, uh, you know, in minutes or even seconds, um, and that's huge. And also out of the box, you know, from AWS and other cloud providers is the ability to uh, monitor the stuff uh, and control them through APIs, right? So I don't have to um, do a lot of, uh, uh, I don't have to do a lot of jumping up and down and um, uh, running around in order to be able to see what's running and uh, see how well it's running. One of the things that um, you sort of touched on, like Stitch Fix being new, which it totally is. So the company itself is only six years old. Um, and so that means that we have had the benefit of being able to start afresh in a modern kind of more greenfield approach. Um, and so we started with Heroku, so platform as a service, um, which has wonderful, uh, wonderful properties in terms of uh, developer productivity and developer power. And we've also um, constructed our toolkit or our stack out of a bunch of different, you know, uh, software as a service uh, uh, kind of uh, elements. So uh, obviously the platform as a service straight away, um, we're running on, uh, we have leveraged uh, databases as a service. So first in, first in Heroku's uh, world and now in uh, AWS's world in the form of the relational database service that, uh, Amazon, that uh, AWS offers. Um, we also use hosted uh, Elasticsearch. We use hosted um, uh, messaging in the form of Cloud AMQP. So that's a you know a message provider, basically a, a hosted uh, RabbitMQ. Uh, we host. We we use hosted um, bug tracking. We use hosted uh, uh, you know paging in the form of PagerDuty. Uh, you know. Hosted Slack, like you know, we 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 do not have a single piece of hardware that we own ourselves, other than our laptops. Um, and so nothing that nothing that a customer or or um, an employee at Stitch Fix would use in their daily job uh, is you know part of any physical. Like we don't ever we don't have any physical data center presence anywhere, um, and that's awesome. Uh, and you know, you could be like me too, right? Uh, it, in the in the two, in the 2017 world, um, I would suggest that when you are able to start afresh, you should first think of what can I do, how can I leverage something that somebody else is uh, maintaining and sort of running for me, and just pay them to do it, um, and focus uh, focus yourself on the thing that actually differentiates differentiates yourself, right? Um, you know, when I very starkly like you know different, like when I started in the industry. As a, even as a startup, let alone a big company, like the first thing you have to do is find some data center space and buy some physical machines right. and get them sent in. And like, 
it's laughable. I mean, like we all lived in that world and it's, it's uh, laughable, not in like it was bad, but like the, just the sharp, this, this difference between, you know, what we had to go through to get computing power, um, you know, even 10 or 20 years ago and what you have to do now is just unbelievably different. Yeah, it's actually funny in talking with the founders of of Turbonomic, like we we literally started as a startup in Yuri's garage. And they said there was a rack of servers and the neighbors were like, what's that noise, Yuri? And they're like, oh, I've got a startup in my garage. And that's you literally just need a broadband connection. That's the only infrastructure you need. Everything else is available as a service. And you've kind of like you hit the whole stack there. Randy, and I, I guess the other thing is, you know, if you think about any single one of these things, they're almost all available for free to get started too. Like you can really kick the tires on something. You're not even getting into like multi-year, multi-month commitments. Like you can pretty much most of these have a, a developer offering, which is up to a certain number of nodes for free. Like that's that's crazy. I mean, how does that feel to you? To like you said, when when you started in the industry, if you're coming out of school now, you could run a startup without even spending a single dollar, really. You know, before you know that you've got to like spend a little more time and get a couple more people on board. It's 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 a pretty cool time, right? It's a wonderful time. Yeah, uh, every year for the last five has been you know the best time to start a startup ever. You know what I mean? Uh, exactly for that reason, right? Yeah, you can start for free or or as close to free as uh, as you can imagine, right? I mean, uh, you could start a startup with uh, a bill of zero or a hundred dollars or something like that. And you know, and only if and only if you hit it big, um, then is when you start paying. And frankly, that's when you should start paying, right? Um, once you kind of sort it out, I got a business model, I got product market fit. Uh, now I'm ready to go, and sort of that's when the bills really come. So uh, yeah, it's 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 wonderfully empowering. You asked, how does it feel? Like it it constantly amazes me, <laughs> to, to be frank. Yeah, to, just right. to remember back, uh, we didn't have any of this stuff. We didn't have open source. We didn't have cloud. We didn't have uh, all this stuff that's sort of at our fingertips. Uh, mobile devices, you know, uh, computers supercomputers that we carry in our pockets like yeah it's just it's just an amazing time to be alive and it's amazing time an amazing time to be a technologist it's just great and i think every every next thing is as exciting and as as rapid on the innovation you know rate as the previous thing and and the players are changing too what's interesting like you said it was open source was you know it was linux right that was when people said like oh you use open source like oh yeah so you run linux servers like no you could run anything at any layer of your stack that's such a huge opportunity throughout again like the the full stack that you talked about in these different platforms some of them you know obviously are aws specific like with rds and whatnot but they're using core like primitives that you could then port to another database platform as long as it's using you know one standard style of database call it's it's all about the right abstraction so when you think about the products that you've laid out in here i like how you started with heroku you know how important was platform as a service to be the starting point for you versus building your own you know basic stack yeah uh thanks for asking it in that way yeah it was hugely important and i can't say enough great things about uh, Heroku as a product and um, the Heroku organization. And I say this, uh, I mean, I, like I say, I used to run engineering for Google App Engine. So like I appreciate A, 
what a benefit uh, platforms as a service are and be like, I know how hard they are to run and all that. So yeah. Um, so yeah, Heroku was a huge benefit for, uh, uh, for Stitch Fix. So when I joined Stitch Fix a year ago, we had uh, about 25 engineers on staff. We currently have about 75. So we've sort of grown about 3x in the time I've been here just over a year. Um, but when I arrived, we had 25, um, 25 engineers, all of whom did full stack uh, Ruby on Rails development, none of whom did any aspect that you would call infrastructure, platform, ops at all. Um, and that's not because that's not an important thing, but because that's what we were paying Heroku to do. And that's what Heroku was doing really well. So the fact that we were able to go as far as, uh, as we did on having essentially no investment uh, you know, in people uh, or infrastructure from ourselves uh, was hugely valuable. I mean, yeah. Just an incredible force multiplier. Um, as we have, as we have grown, and at the same time, uh, Heroku has a sweet spot, and it, they, their goal is to make things easy, and they do a great job at that. And at the same time, there are a bunch of things that, as uh, as their company customers, us, us, you know, in particular, uh, get larger, we have requirements that are not the same requirements that are sort of, you know, the next level up or the next level down or deeper, however you want to look at it. Um, from the sort of small and medium-sized businesses that are, are their bread and butter. Um, and to be fair to them, the stuff that we want them to build is not stuff that they are going to build for anybody else other than their, you know, their biggest customers. Does it make sense? Um, so that's our, motiv our motivation for, you know, moving off is not because there's anything wrong with it, but because we have stuff that I st I'll, I'll take a step back and like, you, I need this thing from you guys you shouldn't even build it. Like it's not a thing you should be, you know, you're, that's not in your sweet spot for um, uh, for your standard set of customers. I know that because I used to run one of your things, you know, yes, you know right. Pathogen. Uh, <laughs> so I know where you're coming from and you totally shouldn't build it and that's, but, but I need it and sorry. So, you know, what we want is what we are needing now and did not need before, uh, even a year ago, what we need now is more, uh, more transparency and more control over all the areas of the stack. We need more uh, security in the form of uh, Amazon, of, uh, Amazon security groups, uh, VPCs, happy to talk about why and the details of all these things, but like all the richer, you know, sort of next lower level uh, control over security uh, that we get by running uh, directly on an infrastructure as a service provider. Um, and we just want uh, a lot, like I say, a lot more sort of um, uh, transparency in uh, different areas of the stack. Um, I will just, yeah. I will say, and this is maybe the obvious next question: Should we have started where we are now uh, before? Uh, answer: No. In fact, answer: Hell no. <laughs> uh, when you are when you are uh, when you are small and medium sized and are you know in the uh, in the proper scope of one of those platforms as a service, you totally should be there. You should just totally take advantage of it and not build out things that are undifferentiated heavy lifting. To use you know Werner Fogel's term. Um, when, if you should be so lucky, you know, to be in the 1% of the 1% of the 1% of companies, that's the time that you should, you know, step up and start taking it over yourselves. Yeah. Does that make sense? If you, if you start with, with a complete self-built full stack, that's like reading the goal backwards and thinking you've done it right. Like you've, you've just, why not do something that, you know, remove those constraints early and then discover them. And so effectively you've done it, right? You have now hit a point in the evolution of Stitch Fix and, and your team where you're like, okay, our constraint is 
transparency. So how do we attack that constraint? Easy. Yeah. We have to then break out the stack and this is the way in which we're going to do it. But like you said, if you had done that early, you'd be months in just to get to the point where you're like, all right, perfect. We're ready to put our first hunk of code into production now. And it's like such a reversal of the whole purpose of high velocity you know, SRE roles. It's like every piece of code should go in. And I'm going to ask you this, and, and I don't know if, how much you can share, but you know, we always hear about commits, you know, push to production, you know, Gene Kim, and I, I love hearing Gene talk, and he always talks about, yeah, these, these folks are doing like 2,000 commits a day, and they're all, every single one goes right to production. Like, when you think of, you know, a Stitch Fix and some of the other companies you've helped to advise and work with, Randy, what are real, honest people out there that are doing those first stages rather than Netflix doing, you know, 17,000 commits a day or whatever it is, like, when you do those first stages of adopting this DevOps process, where do you find a lot of people really are versus the the big gun stories that we hear about? Yeah, sure. Well, um, I mean, the answer is it depends. It depends very much on where you come from. So, uh, in the Stitch Fix, uh, in the Stitch Fix case, you know, we had that benefit of starting essentially Greenfield five years ago, right? And we started on Heroku, which very naturally gives us continuous delivery, right? So um, three things that are core to the way that we approach engineering. We do test-driven development, like we actually do it. <laughs> so we actually write the tests before we write a feature. Um, we do continuous delivery. So that came essentially for free by working with uh, storing our code in GitHub and connecting that up uh, through a CI pipeline uh, out to Heroku. I'll talk about that more in a moment. Um, and then uh, we practice DevOps as we started with. So, you know, we believe that it's the same team and the same individuals that should be doing all, you know, full end-to-end, -end, uh, owning the stack full end-to-end. -end. Uh, so, yeah, when somebody's starting out, like if you are starting out as we were able to do afresh, go to a platform as a service and you get that continuous delivery stuff for free. Um, so, so for us, every commit that goes to our master branch is uh, runs all of those automated tests that you know we wrote in our TDD you know phase, um, and uh, that get you know those things get uh, uh, packaged up into a deployable artifact. They get deployed to Heroku, and there we go. Um, and so you know we're not doing seventeen thousand because we only have seventy people that are writing code, uh, but every one of our applications, and we have about forty or fifty individual small applications. Uh, we tried very much not to write the monolithic application. Um, so uh, every one of those applications is being deployed multiple times a day. Uh, and so what are people really doing? Like, I am really doing that. Um, separate, so the, the other unasked question, or the other half of your question is, well, what if you're not coming from, what if you're not a greenfield situation? What if you're coming from a situation where it's more traditional enterprise-y? Right. And yeah, then you've got to take, uh, then you've got to take steps, right? And um, uh, it can be, uh, it, well, <laughs> I'll, I will come back and answer the question. 10 years ago, when I first started talking about, uh, I was then at eBay and started talking about eBay's architecture, people were shocked and amazed that eBay released the whole site every two weeks. So I would get up there and talk about, yeah, eBay, we released the whole site every two weeks. They're like, oh my God, every two weeks, that's amazing. So imagine my doing that today. Like I get up and I talk about, yeah, we're, you know, Stitch Fix and we release the whole site every two weeks. They're like, two weeks. Oh my God. <laughs> right? That used to be impressively, you know, awesome. And now it's impressive. Now it's, you know, not so much. Um, uh, so yeah, but there is no shame in coming from like, hey, 
you know, people are, have successful businesses and they release things, you know, once a month or once every two weeks or once every day. Um, I will, I am a strong believer in the Gene Kim, Jez Humble, you know, philosophy of the more that you, you get so much benefit out of shrinking that, that uh, cycle time, shrinking that the time from thing I, uh, idea that I have to code that I write to it runs in production. Um, please just go do that. Um, and you're not going to get from one month to one second in a day. Uh, and you know, no, anybody who tells you uh, differently is, is selling you something probably. Um, but you can get from a month to a week and like, okay, and you can feel proud about that. And then you can get from a month to, you know, a couple of days and you can feel proud about that. Um, and obviously there are, you know, there's, a, there's lots of aspects of changing the culture and the development process, getting tooling in place to do that stuff. Um, but the wonderful thing is that this is a pretty well-paved path, right? So uh, the fortunate situation is um, for companies that currently have, you know, a, 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 a inter more an enterprise-y uh, life cycle, you know, a slower life cycle, um, it's a pretty well-paved, lots of people have gone from there to, you know, to here, if that makes sense. Right. Um, so it's not like you got to be, you have to be the trailblazer and discover new ways of doing the thing, if that makes sense. It's it's a kind of uh, I don't say it's an easy path, but it's a it's a, a well trodden path. It's a paved path, and it's really like you said. It the the ranges and stages are important, and that's why I try and impress upon folks out in the community when I talk to them. I said you don't have to be you know eBay. Sorry, I always use yeah I use your your former team as an example. You know, or LinkedIn or PayPal or whatever it is. I said. But if you're if you're enterprise and it's taking you six months to get something to production, if you can do it in three, that's like let's let's drink, let's party about and celebrate that, right? If we because then we can do it into one three weeks, like then you can shrink those cycles. But at least let's just reduce that time to getting that code into production and and make those processes better, which is which is pretty cool. I'm gonna ask totally. you about. Yeah, I mean, if you can reduce the, I mean, just to underline that a little bit, like. If you're, if you're doing one release every six months and you can make it to three, now you've, hey, doubled, <laughs> doubled your velocity. Uh, and there's no, you know, there's no shame in that. That's awesome. Uh, because now you can, now you can get either, you can get double the amount of uh, features and capabilities at your customers and, or you can make them that much more uh, reliable. Why? Because when I double the size of a thing, it doesn't make it only twice as complicated and twice as, you know, potentially bug ridden. It's four times or eight times or like there's an exponential uh, or at least geometric relationship between the amount of code I'm changing and the potential issues that I'm introducing. It's not linear at all. Right. Um, so the more that so when you can go from the six month to the three month, uh, you've made everything better, like noticeably. And then you get from the three months to the one month and the one month to the one week. Um, yeah, you will find as you do that, uh, you'll just get better and better. Um, and uh, your customers will thank you for it, right? Your customers will thank you for, hey, my your re releases are not only coming faster, they're more reliable. Right. Um, and that is uh, the one, you know, people should definitely read the uh, DevOps, uh, DevOps handbook, which is, you know, Gene Kim and Jess Humble and um, John Willis and all those guys, uh, Patrick Dubois. But, um, uh, it is, as you get faster, you also get better. It is not, a, it, what, it's a wonderful thing where like you're not choosing between, oh, should I be fast or should I be good? That's right. <laughs> uh, the, fast, the faster makes the 
makes you gooder, <laughs> you know? Uh, the faster you get, the better you get, so yeah. Now, we could, I could literally take 12 hours and just cut it into hunks and make it a 48-part series with you, Randy. I, I want to, before we finish up in this session, I do want to talk a little bit more about one piece of tooling that's interesting. It's not necessarily a single one I'm going to pick out, but <clears throat> you've talked about a couple of platforms and a couple of products in the this the stack that you're using, and there's there's bound to be some proprietary stuff that you have to build and adapt to as part of that, like you talked about, obviously, AWS VPCs and other things. So when you're looking at a stack to choose to build on, you know, is we always hear about vendor lock-in and this concern about, you know, oh, you're going to get locked in. Like when should we be as concerned as some people would think about mapping to a particular process or, or some infrastructure? And how do you create the right abstraction to make sure that you're as least locked in as possible? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Um, and uh, I remember from, you know, uh, Google App Engine, like that was a lot of, a, a lot of, uh, um, we definitely heard that critique uh, quite a lot and it's a legitimate critique. Um, so look, everything's a trade-off. <laughs> um, and lock-in is such a pejorative term and, and, and we take it as, Often you hear that and like, oh, we're locked in and like, oh, that's absolutely bad. Well, let's take a step back. Not true. The way to think about it is what, what amount of effort, what benefit are you getting from using whatever, directly AWS or directly Heroku or directly uh, App Engine or directly Oracle or like whatever you want to you talk about being locked in. What benefit in terms of speed, uh, you know, feature velocity in terms of uh, uh, reliability, uh, ease of use, et cetera, what benefits do you get? And then the cost that you pay, and it's a real cost of if we ever uh, had to migrate off of this, um, you know, what, how long would it take? And you can kind of sketch that out in an order of magnitude. Would it take me one day, one week, one month, one year kind of thing? Um, and then do the math for yourself. Um, I will say for myself that, um, I would, I am, and I've started using AWS as a customer um, for several, uh, uh, several of my last uh, places that I've been. Um, that's not a, that's not a thing I'm, that's not a lock-in I'm worried about. Like, yeah, that's true. We are definitely directly using AWS APIs for a bunch of our things. Um, that is not a big concern for me. Um, there you go. There are other things, you know, people have been, and I say this as a former Oracle employee, <laughs> uh, there, uh, I'm not even going to beat around the bush. Like Oracle has soured people on, uh, the experience of that sales cycle, et cetera, has totally soured people on the lock-in of that one. Um, and Oracle has not done itself a service by, uh, by making that really difficult. Um, you know, making, making being a customer of Oracle like a problem rather than a wonderful thing. Right. Um, so far to date, uh, you know, we'll see when we look back on in the future. So far to date, uh, AWS uh, and Google and, you know, uh, they have not behaved in that way. Um, so does that mean they could never behave in that way? Of course it doesn't. Um, but they're, you know, but prices are going down, not up. Uh, people are being, there is more standardization, not less. Um, so I, mean, I think the general trends uh, are, are favorable. And I think a lot of, a lot of software and uh, infrastructure vendors have seen the, have seen 
you know, what their brethren in the 90s and the 2000s did and try not to do that again. Um, so, yeah, uh, I mean, so I hope that makes sense. Like I, I have, oh, I, I have no, a philosophical really... like, uh, yeah, like I say, you know, lock in is a trade off like anything else and you trade it off. Like if I can get to market three months faster because I just went directly against AWS, like fine. If I, if on the other hand, I'm worried, I personally am not worried, but if somebody listening is worried about, yeah, you know, I want to be able to be more, I want to be able to switch, you know, on a dime between AWS and Google or whatever. Cool. All right. I get, I mean, that, that's a thing you should decide for yourself. And there are, there are, um, there are ways you can ins insulate yourself from, uh, from that. I, I think that's, that's a beautiful way to describe it because that's exactly it. It's it's defining the trade off, and you know, I, I I think the the one I always compare when people say like, well, I don't I don't want to be with a vendor where I'm locked in. I'm like, you know, you're you're locked in in so many things in your life. Some of it would call it marriage. I'm like, it's not a terrible <laughs> thing, right? I'm like, it's you know, if you think about it hard enough, it's lock in. Do you feel locked in? Do you feel terrified that you've like, no, you you made a choice. Like and like I said, it's it's a great way to describe it. And we've We've covered a lot on on toolkit stack. Like I said, I we could spend another hour just going into some of the stuff. You've got such a great a great a story that you can tell on on the things you've done. Uh, but what we're going to do is we're going to bring you back uh, in future again, Randy, very soon, uh, and we're going to continue this conversation because I want to talk to you a bit about the people side of this, and that's probably one of the more challenging stories that. People want to hear how you succeeded at it. So to close out today, I'm going to ask you again, if you want to just let folks again know where we can find you online. And then uh, thank you for talking about your stack, how your view of DevOps works, a great thought about lock-in, and uh, a little bit about Stitch Fix. And uh, yeah, so where do we find you online, Randy? And then we're going to bring you back again. Yeah, sounds uh, great. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, so uh, uh, Randy Schaup, you can find me at, at Randy Schaup, all one word, uh, on Twitter. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn. Um, and also Googling Randy Schaup, you know, the two words, uh, digs up a lot, of, uh, a lot of presentations and blog posts and interviews that I've done. So that's another way that people can find out some of the things that I, that I think. Um, so yeah, thanks again, Eric. This was really a lot of fun. Awesome. Thank you very much, Randy. If you like what you heard here and want to hear much more, don't forget to subscribe to the GC On Demand podcast. You can go to gcondemand.io where you'll find the links in order to catch us in iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, and more. So go to gcondemand.io. Don't forget to rate us in your podcaster of choice and look for much, much more. Have a show idea? Tweet us at GC On Demand. Thanks for listening.